Trainingport.net presents Business Aviation Training Report. Hello and welcome to the Business Aviation Training Report. I'm your host, Brent Fishlock. This is a monthly look at events unfolding in the business aviation world and is produced by the leader in online training for business aviation, trainingport.net. Thank you for listening and thank you for talking about this podcast with your aviation colleagues. Please subscribe to this podcast wherever you get your podcasts. We plan to link the business aviation news of the day with the training needs of business aviation operators, management, their support staff, maintainers, and pilots. We will discuss topics that are important to you as a business aviation professional. We will answer listener questions and anything else you suggest. So send us your suggestions and questions. We want to hear from you. You can email me at podcast at trainingport.net. That's podcast at trainingport.net. Today's topic is the real purpose of a training needs assessment, or TNA. A training needs assessment is a comprehensive evaluation of an operator's current training program. The TNA looks at all aspects of an operator's training program, including training that must be completed no matter what the operator does, training that must be completed based on a specific thing the operator does, and training that should be done based on identified risk factors. This is a great topic because in some cases, a training needs assessment can actually reduce the amount of training an operator is required to take. My guest today is the founder and president of TrainingPort.net, Mr. Scott McPherson. Welcome, Scott, to the Business Aviation Training Report. Thanks, Brent. Good. So uh, I gave a bit of a brief intro there about the topic, but let's let's hear it from the expert. Scott, please explain to our listeners what a training needs assessment is. Yeah, it's often seen as um, uh, just sort of a step to go through to get to your training, but really the purpose is to have a really good close look at what an operator needs and to be able to determine whether they can do less training or more training on specific things and to determine whether there's something special specific for their operation that is unique. So as much as anything, it's a regular structured review of their training program. And, you know, we often say to people that really it's the operator's responsibility. We started doing them because people didn't know how or hadn't thought of doing them in a structured format. And uh, more and more to my delight, we're seeing people take that on for themselves, but it really does need to be structured from a, you know, what do the regulations say? What standards have we chosen to operate to in addition to the regulations? Or what do the standards say that are already imposed on us? What do we want to do in addition? What kind of operations do we do? You know, are we operating CAT2? Are we operating oceanic work? Or are we in the mountains all the time? So some of them relate to special authorizations for RBSM or maybe RNP4. Others might relate to uh, more focus on CFIT voluntarily. And then we really look at, because of that, we're looking at the risks that the operator faces. And so it's a structured approach from stem to stern of an operator's needs and designing a training program that's responsive to the operator's needs. And then over time, we've developed the ability to tailor that right down to the individual trainee's requirements so that it goes much beyond just what an operator needs because they're a commercial operator or a private operator or a specialty operator. Rather, it's right down to what does, you know, trainee X who just came back off sick leave for seven months or off of mat leave need to be able to get back up to speed and what's changed since they last trained? So where did it come from? Is it where you were you sitting around with some business associates and dreamt this up? Like it doesn't seem to be very mainstream within the training environment as far as I can tell. 
<laughs> no, it wasn't. Uh, it was not common. In fact, we'd never heard of it either. You know, when I started training for the idea was, well, let's just meet what everybody needs. And then I realized that without knowing it, uh, when I ran the flight department that I ran, that was early on in the Isbeo days, I was doing this. I just didn't know what to call it. And so um, I asked clients, you know, assuming that everybody did something like it, I asked clients, you know, what kind of assessment have you done? And, and I got these sort of blank stares or silences on the phone and realized that uh, we, we really needed to uh, to come up with a formal method. So uh, I did a bunch of research, developed programs, and I think the first training needs assessment we did was over 11 years ago, uh, and we've done hundreds and hundreds of them since. But it really did just come out of the need that was there at the time. We've had clients say to us that the training is nice to pay for training and everything, but really what we pay is for the uh, the consultation that comes with the training. So it's a form of consulting, I guess. It was never our intent to be consultants, and it's a lot of work when we do it because we have to learn about every operator every time. It's much easier for an operator to do it for themselves on a regular basis. And once they do sort of set up a structure, then they can do it much more efficiently annually or even more frequently than that. So I think that's why we're seeing operators take it on for themselves. In fact, I would say that it, the whole reason for it came from the SMS world. The flight department I ran was the very first is bail registrant. So it was the first sort of formally written SMS standard uh, for aviation. And, and we had to figure out how to tie all the activities of the department into our safety management program. So it was obvious that we needed to tie our training to our specific risk. So this is definitely a part of the total safety management program. So yeah, gap analysis is a good term for it. So you brought up, uh, we started talking about SMS, so that's a good segue into how is the SMS used to help create more effective training when, when completing a TNA? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I've, we've long sent a request to our clients that wanted the TNA done. In fact, we just had this morning some new clients down in the U.S. wanting to do TNAs because they, they knew about the program from, from previous exposure at other employers where they'd been on our system. In that case, we send out a request for their manuals, their you know, whether it's the ops manual, the training manual, even safety manuals, so that we can look at every element of the program. And of course, safety management systems require those manuals or chapters within a manual to cover these things. And so we review the entire documentation. I actually do read every page of every manual. It's also why we're charging separate for, separately for it now because it's, it's a lot of work. And as I say, that's because we're having to learn about that operator as though we've never seen them before every time. So an operator knows their own manual as well, and they can develop tools that give them shortcuts for that. But it is a, a completely streamlined within the SMS that they're doing a fully aligned review and pulling together their risks with their training activity so that they can show that training is a form of risk mitigation. That's the way it fits directly into the SMS. So they would be looking at their reports and, you know, what mitigation they had taken and perhaps they need more training because something happened with, you know, nearly coming to the end of the pavement, but the airplane stopped in time and that sort of thing. So they'd be using real world events that have happened in their operation and maybe at other operators, I mean, if they're those Cadors and all that kind of stuff, to streamline their training. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. So many operators pull reports from ASIAS in the U.S. or from similar programs around the world uh, for data collection. Uh, hopefully they have well-developed data collection tools of their own. We always ask them for their root cause analysis. If we can, uh, that's the best for us because then we're not having to look at individual reports. But as part of the request for information, 
information, we send out uh, the request for any risk information that they have. So not only the manuals, but their hazard reports, their hazard identification tracking system output so that we can look at what they've identified to be issues. And you know, you gave an example of somebody coming close to the end of a runway. Uh, that certainly happened in, in our operation due to uh, an unexpected and unnotified runway resealing project that surprised everybody in the wet. And uh, we, on the other hand, we had a client who, when I was reviewing their very well put together hazard reports, and discovered that a couple had been misclassified and both pointed to the same root cause. There were two high altitude near misses, which is extremely rare, of course, um, resulting in RAs. And uh, in both cases, they had the same root cause, which is workload management at the top of descent and communication, crew communication. So we tweaked their crew resource management uh, course for the next few years, where we focused on those two crew performance indicators specifically and gave them more frequently and tracked their data to see whether those kinds of events happened anymore. And as those events dropped off, of course, not only because of training, they also changed their SOPs, they changed their checklists, and they trained according to the scenarios in the simulator. But once all that was put together, then we were able a few years later to reduce the amount of training or reduce the frequency of training on those CPIs. So it's very definitely designed to be a responsive tool. Yeah, and it sounds like the, the TNA and the SMS really go hand in hand. I mean, that you do annual processes in, in SMS as well to verify that things are going on and follow up with uh, people that have made reports and that sort of thing. And if you're doing a TNA every year, it really sounds like it it's full circle, right? Brings it all back together. Yeah, for sure. If somebody is modifying their manuals from time to time, you assume they're doing that in response to either a standards requirement or to something out there in the industry that they know is going on or for their own operation that's going on. Now, there's a change in role, an increase in mission tempo or uh, something that they've seen happen through their hazard reports. Everything should be responsive in the safety management system. And so you're looking at broad industry data. You know, right now we know that runway incursions are a hazard and we know that upset recovery or upset prevention and recovery training is needed to prevent some of the high altitude upsets that we're seeing and the, the harm that's being done there. So those are broad industry categories. When you then take that and look at the individual operator's risk uh, or hazard report and, and get down to the root cause. And, and quite often in a TNA, I've ended up doing root cause analysis for people not because they can't, but because they often don't see. They're so in the weeds, they haven't got the external perspective that they don't see the connection between things. And once you get down to a root cause, you can really focus the training and resolve actually a number of risks related to a common root cause. So these are things that tie together beautifully, and it is a continuous part of the risk management protocol. It has to go hand in hand with, as I said, changes to SOPs, manuals, protocols, training of all kinds many modes of training. In uh, in Canada, anyway, we're seeing a change in, in CRM that's really kind of perhaps <laughs> bringing more of that together in a classroom setting, which is something that we haven't seen before. That's a whole other podcast for another day. There's a couple of ways to, like, a, a, say a decision maker, chief pilot, ops manager, uh, head of maintenance is listening right now. Sounds like there's a couple of ways to go at this. They can do it themselves or they can have training board take care of it. If they do it themselves, how do they go about that? Is there some support that you provide? Uh, what, what goes on there? Yeah, we really do multiple levels of training needs assessment. At the core level, when somebody says, look, I just want what my specific operation requires, we will send them out a basic questionnaire that, you know, say, okay, well, here's what your regulations say you have to do, depending if they're European or 
American or Canadian and whether they've chosen to operate, say, to ISBEO or some other standard in Australia. The resource-based charter operators use BARS, the Flight Safety Foundations Program. So we look at what's needed and then we'll ask them, what authorizations do you hold? Uh, you know, an LOA in the U.S. or a special authorization for Canada and authorizations in the EU for RBSM or various oceanic, you know, CPDLC, ADSC, those kinds of requirements. And that's a basic assessment. We, we accept what they say and say, okay, is that all you want? Yes. Uh, is there anything else you'd like to add? Oh, well, we might like to see, you know, extra focus on fatigue. Okay, fine. We'll give that to you. And then through to a more extensive discussion or right up to the end where we do the, the full assessment for them. I recently, I've done two conference talks uh, where I've taught people how to do training needs assessments because as I say, I really do believe that operators should know how to do this for themselves and provided very clear suggestions on how they can do it, suggestions on how they can build their own template so that it becomes a streamlined process. As I say, because they know their operation well, it's not as difficult as a job as it is for us to do it every year for an operator because we have to assume the operator is different. I've had many operators tell me nothing's changed or phone and say, I'm just like my friend's flight department. I need exactly the same as he has. And then with a few questions, I find out that in fact, his friend's operating an international jet operation while he's flying a citation between uh, two cities with ILSs at each end. And clearly they're very different kinds of operations. Or I find that an operation has changed from one of those to the other, and they very definitely have different needs. So they know their operation well. If they build their own template, they can quite efficiently adjust their training needs. So we have provided those, uh, I think even the CBAA website and NBAA websites probably somewhere in their depths have copies of the presentations that have been involved in and people would be able to find them with some of the tools that were provided there. We don't provide that for people on our site now because uh, I don't believe that a checklist or a simple questionnaire is the full story. They need to really use it just as a guide to look at their own risks because ultimately you have to manage your risks. And if you're just doing what the regulations prescribe or what the standards demand, you're still missing the point that your risks are ultimately what you have to deal with. And so people do need more than just a, a checklist, otherwise they're being cheated. So it sounds like they should really contact trainingport.net to start that process if they're interested and, and see what's that exactly involved. Yeah, I mean, we're we're certainly um, not trying to encourage people to use only us. As I say, we got out of the job of doing that to a large degree because as certain regulations have become more and more prescriptive, there was less and less time in practical terms where people were willing to train. I mean, if, if you imagine eight, eight and a half by 11 sheet of paper as the amount of time somebody would be willing to train in their life, eventually that sheet of paper can get filled up by just one more regulation after one more regulation. And I think we're at that point with certainly the Canadian private standards and others where there, there's just no more time. People are not willing to do anymore. They need to go and actually do their job as opposed to only training for it. And so so we got out of doing training needs assessments because there just wasn't any realistic expectation that people would do more. In other regimes, you know, U.S. Part 91 using ISBEO, there's much more flexibility. It's much more practical. People have the ability to adjust their training needs and they don't have such a heavy demand on them. So we are able to give them guidance on how to do that. And if, if somebody says, look, how do I even begin? I'm always happy to have a, a discussion with them to help them get started. And as I say, we have a few clients who still really want us to do that for them and say that the value of the discussion, the consulting period afterward is greater to them than even the training Itself. Well, that's great, Scott. And thanks very much for joining me today. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you for the opportunity. Yeah, well, sure. I'm sure we'll have you back on the show real soon. 
Okay, let's change gears for a moment. In the News is a segment of the podcast where we change topics for a few minutes to talk about other news in business aviation. Today's In the News segment is Canadian-based, but I promise to make it more international next time. Crew resource management in Canada is changing in January 2019. I have talked about this briefly in a previous podcast, but I think it's worth updating operators in Canada as we've had many questions about Advisory Circular 700-042 and what it means for business aviation operators. We asked Transport Canada a few questions and received differing answers from opposite ends of the country. Here are some updates. We have been told that the new CRM referred to as Contemporary CRM is required to be, quote, approved and in place, unquote, at your operation by January 31st, 2019. However, it is not clear if everyone must have completed their training by that date. There is a classroom component for virtually all operators, but we are asking Transport Canada if a web-based virtual classroom is considered compliant. Many of your team members that were not required to take CRM training in the past must now do so annually, including flight crew, flight attendants, dispatchers, flight followers, ground crew, and maintenance personnel. This means that dispatchers will be trained in situational awareness, amongst other topics that have historically only been flight crew topics. Be sure to read our newsletter and check our blog for updates on this new training. Go to www.trainingport.net for more. For more information on each episode, visit us at www.trainingport.net slash podcast. Trainingport.net, helping business aviation professionals excel.